Hey guys, I'm so glad to share with you today's guest. Um, he has been working on cruise lines for 40 years, helping clients, helping passengers have a flawless experience. He knows so much about traveling the world and uh, really about uh, making sure that people get an amazing customer experience. And he's sharing that knowledge. He's a public speaker. He's written uh, a few, a couple of books, and he's teaching people these lessons that have been learned from dealing with these different challenges, including with dealing with challenges in business, even when they're not your own. And so for you, if you're a business owner and you're looking at how do I deal with these uh, today, I want to introduce to you Paul Smooth as Butter Rudder. On our show today, guys, we've got Paul Rudder. Uh, thanks for coming on the show, Paul. My pleasure. Great to be with you. <laughs> um, thank you. Thank you. Glad to have you on. And um, I, th I think we're going to get some, we're going to be able to share some really interesting stuff with people here today because you have some really unique uh, experience, real life uh, experience that you are bringing to people in a really unique way. But before we get into uh, all of that, I, let, let's just start with a little bit of background. Um, Paul, where, where are you from? And um, and where, where are you from? And uh, what, what kind of give us a little bit of a background on you? Well, I was born and raised up in New England in the U.S. in Connecticut. So uh, mm. I, I'm a New Englander born and bred. I moved to Florida in the mid-80s when I got involved in the cruise industry. So my blood is a little bit thin now. So I like this warm weather down in Florida. Uh, I can I can take the cold weather for, you know, 10 to 15 minutes. I'm good for that. And then, uh, then get me back into the warm weather again. Yeah. And... Um, I'm coming to you from the cruise industry, and I actually got my job in Connecticut because I took my dog for a walk, and that's how it all started. I, I had just graduated Boston University, go Terriers, and I was just coming home to Connecticut after graduating, and I grew up across the street from the high school I went to. So I grew up with a big German Shepherd, absolutely beautiful dog, and I would take the dog across the street to the high school to get its exercise. So one day after graduating from college, took my dog across the street to the high school and I ran into the high school principal who was just leaving for the day. And I knew the principal because I was involved in the music program at the high school. It was an award-winning music program. So he asked me how I was doing and what's going on. I said, oh, just graduated, have my teaching degree. And he, and he said, well, what are you going to do now? And I said, well, I'm probably going to take a year off. I wanted to do a little traveling around the U.S. I had bought a beat up old Volkswagen bus uh, back in the 70s. And he looked at me and he said, how'd you like to work on a cruise ship? And I went, excuse me, what? I, I wait, wait, wait. The, the principal asked you about working on a cruise ship. Correct. Out, out of the blue. Okay. Out of the blue. And and. It happened that there was a parent at the high school who was starting a new project, putting a few slot machines on cruise ships, and they needed people to go on and take care of the slot machines and make change for the people. Very easy, you know, as a cashier. 
Um, and if I hadn't taken my dog for a walk on that particular day at that particular time, I wouldn't have run into the principal. I wouldn't have gotten the offer. And 40 years later, I'm still in the industry. Now, when I met the, the, the parent, he interviewed me in Connecticut. He said, I need you for three months. Just stay for three months, because then if you don't like it, I'll, I'm able to replace you. I said, fine, no problem. And three months has turned into 40 years. I just love the industry and loved what I was doing and loved traveling around the world. Uh, and, and that's how I got my job, by taking my dog for a walk. So we love dogs and I love my dog even more. Obviously, the German Shepherd has passed away a long time ago. But right. if I hadn't taken my dog for a walk, you and I would not be talking right now. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Um, are, are you a Patriots fan, by the way? Well, it's funny because in Connecticut yeah. uh, and going to Boston, yeah. um, our, our loyalties are split. So mm. I'm, my father grew up a New York Giants fan because he grew up in New Haven, Connecticut, close to New York. He actually used to have season tickets growing up to the Giants. So I grew up yeah. a Giants fan. This was yeah. before the Patriots were even in the NFL. They were in the old right. AFL. Right. So we didn't get their games on TV. But right. I am, I am a very big Red Sox fan and Celtics fan. So uh, <laughs> my loyalties are in Boston for certain things, but for football, right. it's with the New York Giants. Right. Uh, so you're probably a uh, a Doug Flutie flan fan because he, of course, went to Boston College and uh, which and was the, the rival of Boston University. Though I went to Boston oh. University, which is just down so the street you... from Boston College. So no, <laughs> not a not a Doug Flutie fan. <laughs> Although as a person, he's a great guy. As a football player, eh, he caused some problems. <laughs> um, Doug Flutie is how I even got into liking football in the first place. Because uh, he, he came up up to Canada and he played in Canada for, uh, for, for a number of years. Set all sorts of records and, um, and uh, won a number of championships. And then, of course, went back to the NFL. And I followed him and started watching the NFL. And that is a result of... Doug Flutie. So, um, but, uh, but okay, that's great. Well, uh, now that we've totally digressed down the road of the NFL and football, <laughs> well, let's, let's come back to um, this outrageous story of going to, for a three month job offer on a cruise line to make change for this new thing that they were going to do, having slot machines on the ship. And then you turn that into 40 years uh, worth of uh, employment and business and experience. And um, and here you are. Now, you did mention about dogs, but you guys would not have been able to bring dogs on the ship. Am I correct? Not as an employee, no. There were, there in the old days, and I believe still a Canard Cruise Line, which has the Queen Mary and the Queen Elizabeth II, Queen Mary II, Queen Elizabeth um, I think they're the only cruise line where passengers can bring a dog on because they have a proper kennel on board. Um, okay. We sometimes have support animals on board or therapy, not therapy dogs, but support dogs um, yeah. where we we make arrangements for that. But no, normally, no, pets are not allowed on board. Right, right. Now, I, I used to live in uh, Halifax, Nova Scotia, yes. and I got a chance to see quite a number of cruise ships um one of the one of those destinations uh have you been to halifax just out of i have uh, we've done the new england canada cruises halifax halifax one of my favorite ports 
Beautiful. That's really interesting because I'm thinking now, if you've been doing that for 40 years, you've probably come into town when I uh, when I lived there for a number of quite a number of years. I lived there for about 15 years. So you must have come aboard. I would have come down and looked at those ships. Used to love I worked downtown, but I used to love looking at the ships because they're gigantic. Oh, oh, and getting bigger. Uh, the, the biggest ships in the world now, which are too big to go to Canada, unfortunately, because of the dock and the pier. But the right. biggest ships in the world now have over 6,000 passengers, probably closer to 6,500 when you have kids in the cabin, with over 2,200 crew members. So you're getting close to 9,000 people on board a metal boat <laughs> in the middle of the ocean. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> well, those uh, I can tell you from standing up close and looking at them, you're just in awe of of the monstrosity. Like it's it towered over multi those buildings where you, where you guys would park, it would tower over them. And uh, now I do remember when we were trying to uh, bid for a super port um, there in Halifax, and we lost out. And I believe. Uh, I believe uh, Washington got got the superport, which probably would be able to handle these ships that you're talking about now. But um, Halifax had quite a large harbor, so um, very deep. So we used to see a lot of the cruise ships uh, every year. Uh, I typically 130 to 150 ships per year would come into that harbor. So uh, I'm positive that you've come through and I've been there and we just passed one another on the street and here we are hey, now talking uh, talking about your experience there. Now, oh, with, yeah, with ships that large, I mean, you just said it, with crew and everything, uh, about 3,000? Well, we have the biggest ships in the world, the Oasis-class ships for Royal Caribbean. They have over... 6,500 guests and 2,200 crews. So close to wow. 9,000 people on board. Wow. And, and, and one of the inter interesting things about the cruise industry is we're one of the very few industries where we actually live with our customers 24 hours a day, mm. seven days a week. So yeah, don't know if you've taken a, a cruise, but if, if you're on board, and I know I'm sure some of your listen, many of your listeners have taken cruises, but if they are, we live with our customers. I mean, they're on board with us, you know, whether it's a seven-day cruise, a 14-day cruise, or a 90-day, 100-day world cruise, we live with our customers. And so the first question I always ask, you know, land-based businesses is, what if you had to live with your customers? Would you treat them any differently? Would you answer their phone calls a little quicker? Would you answer their emails? Would you do the things you told them they were going to do, knowing that if you didn't do them, they're right there in front of you. They'll go to the front desk and say, oh, you know, Paul said he'd get back to me by noon yesterday and he never got back in touch with me. I want to see him right now. And so it's very interesting and a very unique dynamic. Uh, we have to have certain policies and procedures and, and more importantly, certain principles in place so that we deal with all these situations that can come up in the middle of the ocean. It's not like if the air conditioning goes down, we can call an air conditioning company to fly out to the ship in the middle of the ocean. We mm -hmm. have to have everything there in order to make this vacation as memorable as possible. And so 
living with your customers is a very unique dynamic that when I speak to companies on land, that's the first question I ask. Could you or your company survive if you had to live with your customers? And add wow. to that, add to that, you also live with your coworkers. So if the person you just worked with eight hours a day at, let's say, the front desk or as a waiter on the ship or a, a stateroom attendant, or you worked in the shops on board, um, eight hours, you just worked with a person, you go back to your cabin, that person could be your roommate. Now you live with that person. Plus, you just spent all of your working hours with that person. Plus, whenever you go get a meal on board, you're all going to what we call the crew mess or the staff mess. So you're all eating in the same place. At the end of the day, when you want to go get a drink at the crew bar, you're all drinking in the same place. And so what sort of culture do we establish on board? What sort of employee engagement do we have so that our customers uh, will be taken care of by really happy crew members? Because wow. we always say, if you take care of the crew, the crew will take care of the customers. And so that's a very unique dynamic. We live with our customers and we live with our coworkers. And so what if land-based businesses had to do that? If you lived with everybody you worked with in a big <laughs> hotel, let's say, and you ate in the same restaurant and went to have a drink at the same place. And, you know, how, what sort of engagement and culture have you uh, supported for your employees? I, I sure hope this isn't a, uh, a recruited call to try to get more employees to uh, come ab aboard the cruise ships because uh, some of this is sounding a little creepy. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm really worried now. All of a sudden I was like, hey, I who are these people that are on the ship? What do I really know about them on second thought? Um, it, it's kind of like going into a doctor's office because he hangs some stuff on the wall. You assume he knows what he's doing, but you know, uh, are you really prepared to show him uh, everything just because of that piece of paper on the wall? But uh, okay, recruiting aside, that is actually quite, quite brilliant. And, and I would say that I've come to some of my own realizations around that in a very different way. Um, part of it is in getting older, I realized the people that I wanted to align myself with are people that I'm okay with spending time with, <laughs> being around, uh, talking to on a regular basis. We, we share certain values and visions and things like that. And um, uh, it's, and and in my world, in finance and real estate and that, I just realized that it works a lot better if you align yourself with people that are moving in the same direction as you. Now, when well, here, you're talking to companies, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, here's, here's even more of a unique dynamic. The crew yeah. members on board that I work with, the Americans and Canadians are the minority. We have people... On average, crew members come from over 70 different countries. So the majority right. are from India and China and the Philippines and Serbia and Croatia and, and, and uh, uh, the African continent. South Africa have a lot on board. South America. And so how do you keep them all engaged? Because, you know, there's that age old question, who comes first, the customer or the employee? And in our industry, in our industry, the employee will always come first. Take care of your employees. They will take care of the customers. So, But how do you keep them all engaged? So, for instance, you and I, for breakfast, we might have fruit, eggs, 
cereal, oatmeal. But people from India or China or uh, uh, the Philippines, they may have rice and fish and soup and meat. So how do you, they don't want to eat fruit and cereal and oatmeal. So how do you keep them all engaged? And so the cruise lines do a really great job of making sure that we feel at home. So if our cabins are comfortable and our food is good enough to eat, then um, and we look forward to going back to our cabin and we look forward to going to eat, then, then we know that the crew will do a great job. And it's all wow. about employee engagement and establishing a wonderful culture where people know that if, if they have problems or whatever, we know being out at sea four, six, eight months at a time can be very uh, stressful. So we want to make sure that we keep our crew happy. And, and we do that yeah. by engaging in a wonderful uh, in cu culture and creating a great culture where everybody feels accepted on board. Wow. And and now you uh, you do public speaking and have written about this topic. I've written two books. Yes. Thank you for bringing it up. My first book was four years ago called Repeat Business Inc. The Business of Staying in Business. Because as you know, in real estate, and, and I have my real estate license down in Florida, it's the law in Florida. Everybody has to have their real estate license. I think it's in the constitution. But in, in real estate, you want referrals. You want your customers to keep coming back to you. The same thing with us on board a ship. Repeat business is what's all is what's most important. You want your current employees to be uh, a source of uh, marketing and sales and going out mm -hmm. and singing your praises. And so repeat business is very important. So the first book is, is very easy read. It's 50 tips and strategies that every business can do today to keep their customers coming back tomorrow. And then the latest book that just came out is more about my experiences on board. It's called, You Can't Make This Ship Up. And <laughs> Um, it's 40 years of stories that happened on board. And it's more of a business book because it's what businesses can learn from what we do on board and what we deal with mm. and some of the situations that we deal on board and how land-based businesses can learn from what we do. And so the wow. second book just came out a few weeks ago. Uh, very proud. It's, uh, you know, sort of my history on board from when I first joined. There's actually the story about how I got my job with my taking my dog for a walk is in there. Yeah. Uh, and, and so um, this book is sort of semi-autobiographical about and things that happened on board and how yeah. we deal with them. Yeah. Well, let me let me ask this then, because you've done 40 years in this industry and you've learned a lot and now here you are speaking about it publicly, you've written uh, a couple of books. But if you were to go back to that kid that was walking his dog, uh, about to walk across the school, knowing what you know now, would you still walk over and, uh, and go uh, speak to the principal? Or would you go, all right, doggy, we're going this way. <laughs> Let's go this way instead. What okay. would you do? Would you do anything differently? Uh, I would do something differently. I would not walk over there with my dog. I would actually run over there with my dog because the, the last 40 years have just been an incredible experience. I understand how fortunate I am. I think gratitude is so important in life and I'm just so grateful. I've always said that traveling is the best education you can ever get. And mm -hmm. for me to be able to see, you know, the pyramids in Egypt, 
or the ruins of Pompeii or Alaska and the whales playing next to the ship and the bald eagles flying overhead or the Caribbean and the beautiful beaches. I mean, I, mm -hmm. I've been to China before the pandemic. I spent two years sailing out of Shanghai, China and Tianjin. Um, I've climbed a section of the Great Wall of China. So wow. all of these experiences are because I took my dog for a walk. So uh, I met my wife on a ship. Uh, she was working on board. So everything about my life now is because of me taking my dog for a walk. So no, I would not change a thing. Wow. Brilliant. Brilliant. Um, okay. So, so now here you are, you've been on the ship, you've got this experience and you're really starting to, uh, you're, you're teaching businesses and business owners how to apply this experience and knowledge that you got from the cruise lines to to their everyday business. Can you give us sort of an insight on some of the things that perhaps business owners aren't even aware of um, and and how some of what you share is able to uh, bridge that gap? So if there's one Sail thing that sea. <laughs> if, if there's one thing the pandemic has taught us, it's yeah. that you cannot compete on price alone. There's always somebody who has a cheaper price uh, just on the street or a click away. So you can't compete on price anymore. Uh, there's two levels of satisfaction. There's a, a satisfaction of convenience and you go shopping someplace because it's real convenient for you. Or, it, you know, you go to the gas station right by your house because it's the lowest price. But if you, there's a gas station right down the road that has a cheaper price, then you're going to go to them because... You're going just to what is convenient for you. The other type of satisfaction is a satisfaction is a, a, a level of satisfaction. And that's you will you will uh, do business with a company, not because of the cheapest, but because they create the best experience for you. Uh, and that's what businesses need to learn. You have to create an experience that's really positive. Uh, we have a motto on board our ships that our goal, we have one goal, and it should be the goal of every land-based business, and that is to create an exceptional experience that exceeds expectations. You have to create memories. That's what we do. We're not in the cruise industry. We're not in the travel industry. We're in the business of creating memories because that's how people remember us. They remember that wonderful feeling when their waiter remembers their name and, and love, knows that they like iced tea with their meal and it's always going to be there, or their favorite bartender knows their drink as soon as they walk into the bar, or their stateroom attendant knows exactly how they like their bed made up every day when they come in. It's these memories that people remember, and it's the memory. Uh, buying now is an emotional decision, especially big ticket items, buying another car, going on vacation, where are you going to go to? These are emotional decisions that people make. And so they make these decisions based on their memories. And so our goal is to create wonderful memories. And our goal on board is, uh, is to create such an experience that our guests will book their next cruise with us before the current cruise is over. So we have somebody on board who will take their reservation you give us a very small deposit of like $100. You don't have to tell us what ship or where you want to go or even a date. We just reserve a cabin for you on one of our ships somewhere in the world. 
Mm. We know that if we get that small deposit, which is fully refundable, by the way, 98% of those people who give us a deposit will take their next cruise with us. So what if land-based businesses knew that 98% of the time their customers will come back over and over again just by them providing a wonderful experience? And so that's what businesses need to know. It's not just about the price. It's about the customer journey and the customer experience. How easy is it to do business with you? How easy is it to navigate your website? Is your contact information on every page? If I want to pick up a phone and call you, do I have to hunt for your phone number? Or is it right there where I can see it right away? And so just as an example with our business in the cruise industry, how easy is it to make a reservation? You know, how do, if you call our, our, our call center, are our uh, representatives knowledgeable? Do they give you the right information when you ask about taking a cruise with us? And sometimes we have people come on board our ships who are already upset with us that we didn't cause. So, for instance, you fly to Miami to go on a cruise, but the airlines lose your luggage and you come to the ship with no luggage, which happens often. You're already upset. You're upset with the airline, but we've now inherited that problem. How do we take care of that? We can't say, hey, sorry, not our fault. You're out of luck. No, we have to do something because now the problem is ours and we take ownership of it. Lobster so, and champagne. Well, well that'll we'll, solve it for me. We'll uh, we'll send champagne <laughs> and maybe chocolate covered strawberries to your room. Wonderful. We, we have, you know, a toiletry kits on board that you can yeah. uh, we can give you. We have certain uh, a, a, a stash of clothing where uh, a guy on a formal night might be able to get a tuxedo because we do tuxedo rentals on board. We'll wow. give him a tuxedo. Some of our female crew members have offered their clothes to certain passengers that are clean. Obviously, they've gone to the laundry that they can get like on a formal night or get dressed up. And then behind the scenes. Our team is working very closely with the airlines to try and get that luggage to the next port of call. So maybe they get it after two days or three days, but it really comes down to the attitude of the passenger. We've had passengers who have lost luggage. They don't care. They're going to have a great time no matter what. And then we have passengers who lost luggage and it's the worst thing in the world. And they're determined to have a terrible time no matter what we do for them. But again, we still take ownership of that problem. We mm. don't just say, hey, sorry, not my problem. I can't deal with it. And so right. sometimes we get people on board who all are already in a bad mood, but we just can't ignore it. We have to take care of it. So what are our policies and procedures in place in order to yeah. deal with situations like this? Yeah, that that's... Uh... Okay, there's a number of things that you shared there. Uh, let me try and recap a couple of those things okay. that, that I got out of what you said. One was, um, you know, just understanding, uh, and this, I got understanding the customer acquisition, understanding that whole process. You actually made me think of um, uh, a gentleman, John Taffer, uh, who has a show, I believe it's Restaurant Makeover or something like that, and some show like that. And what he, one of the things that he talked about was um, the first time someone comes into your establishment, you've got, uh, if they have a flawless experience, you've got about a 40% chance of them coming back. If they come back a second time, you've got a, still about a 40% chance 
that they'll come back a third time if it's a flawless experience. If you get them in a third time, that's when it jumps up uh, exponentially. And and he was just talking about the uh, how much cheaper it is to ensure that someone has a flawless experience than trying to uh, acquire a new customer over and over again. And so what I'm hearing from you is, hey, they these, these travelers are coming on board and they may already be in a bad mood and yet you still take that on. And when it comes to leadership, leadership to wealth, the number one key that I just heard you talking about was accountability and responsibility. And, and you're taking this on for your client. You're being of service to them and figuring out everything in the background, uh, their baggage, how to get that there, what is uh, their needs and how to, uh, how to create this memory. And now this is another powerful thing because in my business, I'll just share personally, I learned that if I can create a memory, an experience with uh, specifically one of my investors or people that invest with me, that they'll invest with me for life. Because even most people don't actually want the money. We're, we're, we're talking about making money and all this stuff. Most people don't want the money. They want the experience. They want the memory. And they want to be able to look across their life and, and have these moments. And so if you can give them that, um, then, then they people will want to be around you. And it sounds like your entire focus has been how to create that for people so they want to come back again. And now you're talking to businesses, teaching them how to do just that. Well, let's go back to your restaurant friend who uh, studies have shown that it's seven to 10 times more expensive to go out and get a new customer than to keep the customer you already have. So why wouldn't you do everything to keep that customer and and have a flawless experience? The other um, uh, the other statistic, and I know statistics are can be crazy sometimes, but Studies have shown that when your uh, customers come back over and over again, they tend to spend more money with you. The first time they may spend a little bit, and then the next time they'll spend a little bit more, and then they'll spend a little bit more because you've built that trust with them. You're building a relationship with them. Trust is so hard to get. It takes time to build. You can lose it in an instant. And so that is why you're building that trust factor with them. So again, I agree, do everything you can to keep the customers now that you already have. They already know your product. They already know your service. And and that is why it's so important if there's a problem that you try to fix it correctly the first time in a timely manner, because studies have shown that if there's a problem, customers will forgive you. They're very forgiving and they actually will. You're building that trust more and more if there's a problem because they know you will stand behind your product and stand Mm -hmm. behind your service. Mm -hmm. Everything's great. When there's never a problem, every business is wonderful. It's when there's Mm -hmm. a problem that the service really comes through. Everybody Mm -hmm. thinks it's all about customer service. It's not. Customer service is just one piece of the customer experience. Right. They know that if something goes wrong and you fix that problem quickly and it's fixed the first time, 
they will continue to do business with you over and over again because you're right. building that trust with them. Right. And and perhaps you could say something about this. One of the things that I've found is that oftentimes people are hesitant, business owners are hesitant to say when they're going to do something because they don't know how thing, how long things are going to take. And I have found that in business, if I tell someone, here's, I'm going to deal with the issue. I'm going to go jump into it and I'm going to get back to you wherever we're at with it. I'm going to get back to you at this point in time. And then I make sure that I get back to them at that point in time, whether I have a resolution or not. And if I just stay consistent with what I say I'm going to do and I do it, people are a lot more, customers are a lot more uh, forgiving, as you said, and willing to go, okay, he said he was going to do this. And then he went and did that. Oh, it that didn't work out, but he stayed on it and he came back. And each time it just sort of builds more of a trust and people are, can be quite accepting of some of the, I had a bank lose $80,000. Did they find it? They said, we don't know. They said, it's somebody else's problem. They blamed, they said, you got to go check with this person and check with that person. They said, oh, no, we didn't get it. We, you got to check with somebody else. Anyways, long and short of it, uh, I stayed with the investor and said, okay, here's what we're going to do. I'll get back to you. And just, and we just caught following up. And then finally, we got to a point where they found where the money was. It didn't come back to them, to the individual for another two weeks because they sent it off into some foreign land, uh, some some distant place, wherever they sent it, but they were able to get it back and still get it to the person. But what I found was, even though here was this huge issue that I didn't cause, that caused all this stress, this client of mine actually built a stronger bond with me in that whole situation of me uh, chasing it down and trying to uh, be of service to them and just continually being in communication. Could, can you just say something about that with regards to what you're, what you're creating for us here? Well, it's very interesting. You bring up that story about um, getting back with somebody, even though you might not have the answer. I actually write about that in the book that if you say, I'm going to get back to you by Friday, even if you don't have the answer, you need to get back to him by Friday. I, yeah. I always say you under promise and over deliver. So if you say you're going to get back to him by Friday, it, it's even better if you get back to him by Thursday and say, yeah, I know I'd get back to you this week. Here's what's happening or here's the answer. So if you know you can get back to him by Wednesday, you can always say, yeah, I'll get back to you by Friday. But if you get back to him by Wednesday, you're looking even better in the eyes of your customer. So and, and I just had this happen to me this week. I was dealing uh, with an insurance company. Um, they said they'd get back to me. They didn't have the answer, but the lady actually called me up and said, I know I'd get back to you. I told you I'd get back to you still working on the problem. And I mentioned to her that I've written about this in a book and that what she's doing is helping to build that trust, like you said. So it's very interesting that you bring that up. That just happened to me this week. <laughs> okay. So if you're one of my investors, stop listening to the story that I'm about to share and uh, you can come back in in a couple minutes. But um, I, I, Paul, I actually do this as a normal course of business. Like you said, if, if I expect to 
have the answer by Wednesday, I normally say Friday. If I expect to that we're going to make this amount of money, I always say this amount of money. And um, and so that there's always that ability to get back to people sooner. And rather than if something does happen, and this has happened numerous times where a lawyer didn't account for something or someone else didn't do that, like they said they were going to do, well, I've already built in a little bit of that uh, that time to be able to handle that. And so if they're not expecting to hear from me till Friday, then I've I've kind of got that experience. There you go. You so, build in that cushion. That cushion, right. Yeah. And and that was now for me, that kind of came out of some project management experience where you've got different trades coming in and you've got to build a little bit of cushion because people are going to show up at different times. And if you if you uh, if you don't have the uh, the walls painted and then the flooring comes in, well, when the painters come in, there's gonna, they're going to get paint on the floors, right? So you you just have to build in some of these things, and and so I really get what you're creating here, and it makes a it makes a lot of sense. Why don't people do that? <laughs> why do why do people always uh, often? Sorry, often. Why do they often? say, this is what I can do, or sometimes say, I can actually do this. And when they know that they can't actually do that, or it's highly unlikely. So yes, that's an excellent question. I'm not sure why people do that. But um, like we talked about, I always I always uh, suggest that you uh, under promise and over deliver. <clears throat> and that way, uh, you need to keep your word. Keeping your word is so important in business. And if you tell somebody you're going to do something, just do it. Even if you don't have the answer, follow up, follow through. Yeah. I, I think a, uh, my observation is that oftentimes people are desperate to get the business. And as a result, they put themselves out on a limb uh, there and not not really knowing if they're if they're going to be able to execute on that. Um, and, and I want to make a distinction because there are times where you, because, because if you only ever said what you knew you could do, then you would never push beyond that. Right. But um, I, I, what I find is that oftentimes people are in a, in a situation where they're like, oh, I just, if I can just close the deal, I can always beg for forgiveness afterwards. And yeah. they're afraid that if they if they say they can't do it or they're not sure if they can do it, they're going to lose the deal. And and then uh, as a result, they, they just won't have the opportunity. Better, better to better to take the opportunity and ask for forgiveness later. They're going to they're going to lose the deal. They're going to lose the trust and then they're going to lose the referral that's going to come after it as well. And so, uh, you know, people we've learned in our industry, people want the truth, even if it's bad, they want to know what's happening. So, for instance, you know, we've had problems on a ship where the power's gone out or mm -hmm. we've had to stop really quickly. And if the captain doesn't come on the PA system and explain what just happened, everybody's going to make up their own story. Oh, we hit a whale. Oh, we hit a boat. Oh, this is what happened. Oh, we've lost power. Oh, we're sinking. But if the captain comes on and says, just to keep you informed, this is what happened. This is what we're doing now. 
There is no alarm for concern. That's all people want to know. Just be honest. Even if it's bad news, people can take that as long as you're honest with them and you don't try to cover things up and try to uh, uh, pull one over on them. They know people are not stupid. They just want to be told the truth, even if it's bad. Just be honest. Paul, I think you just really hit the nail on the head with what we are experiencing in this global pandemic. I, I, I feel like you just nailed, you just nailed it because we are looking to our leaders and, and we're getting so many mixed signals. And if they change their mind, nobody says, Oh, you know what? This is what we had for information at that point in time. We were wrong. This is what we've learned now. And so this is what we're going to do. And instead, they leave it out there. Like this division that is going on right now between vaccinated, unvaccinated, should we, shouldn't, shouldn't we? Oh, my goodness. Could... Could there be a leader that just stands up and says, hey, guys, we don't have a better response, but this is what we're going to do because this is better for everybody. Or, hey, guys, we know that uh, we do not have enough information for to really mandate this. So here's what we're going to do instead. Everyone that wants to, you can go ahead and do this and and we're going to figure figure out the way forward. Nobody yeah. wants to just come out and stand there and take responsibility for for what the next step is. People don't expect you to have all the answers all the time, but they do no. expect you to be honest with them and just say, "Listen, I don't have the answer, but I'm going to find out for you." Yeah, you know, oh, uh, you know, they may ask us on board about you know something in a port of call or or customs or immigration, and so many times I've said, "I don't know." but I'm going to find out for you. And then I follow up and find out for them and get them the answer. And if I cannot find out for them, I still let them know, this is what I did. I tried to find the answer. I'm still going to work on it for you. But people yeah. don't expect all of us to have all the answers of everything. And certainly with this pandemic, mm. we're learning everything in real time. And so that's all we want is to be kept informed. Mm-hmm. I, absolutely. And, and now... Let's just quickly jump back to to that business and and what's going on right now with regards to COVID and and how businesses can facilitate this conversation. Because I think one of the things that is challenging for business owners right now is we are having supply chain problems across the board, and and I find I'm finding that a lot of business owners are are just saying, here's when I can get this product to you. And then updating it later on and saying, oh, no, can't get it to you yet. Can't get it to you yet. Um, Should there be, should business owners just be taking that standpoint? Or is there another way for them to be able to communicate with their clients? Well, let me give you an example from our industry, from the cruise industry. Obviously, when the pandemic first started, the cruise industry was wiped out completely. I mean, the cruises stopped sailing 
Canada shut down its borders. We couldn't go to anywhere in Canada. Australia shut down its borders. But what the cruise industry did immediately was start thinking about the future, about getting back into business. What are we going to need to do to build that trust, to build that relationship so that our customers know that they will be safe on board our ships? Yeah. And so the first thing that happened was the leaders of some of the cruise lines got together and they formed what was called the Healthy Sail Panel. And that was a group of experts, industry experts from epidemiology and public health and port services and cruise line executives. They came back and said, OK, what do we need to do to build that trust back with our customers so that when we eventually do get back into business, which we knew we would eventually, took a little longer than we wanted. We thought, oh, six months. And then we thought, oh, a year. And then, oh, a year and a half. And now cruise lines and cruise ships are coming back. There's quite a few that have uh, are back online. And so this healthy sale panel was formed. And they came up with, I, I don't know, 74, 75 different um, recommendations including, let's say, um, the air filtration system on board. They completely did the, the whole air conditioning system on board to trap more particles so that the air that's now being circulated like on airplanes is a lot cleaner because they, they figured out that that was a source. Because if you remember when the pandemic first started, there were a few cruise ships that really got hit and the governments didn't want those cruise ships to land. They kept them out at sea. Yep. So we, we knew that that was a bad look. We couldn't let that happen again. And so this healthy sale panel was formed. These All these protocols were put into place. And so I'm very happy to say that we have cruise ships now sailing all over the world with very minimal outbreaks. Um, things like uh, the buffet, when you go down a buffet line and serve yourself food, you're handling those utensils. Well, we took that out. Now the crew member will serve you so that the people don't each touch those, um, those utensils. Little things like that, social distancing um, in our theaters, um, vaccinated versus unvaccinated. Uh, all of our passengers under the age, over the age of 12 have to be vaccinated. Every crew member is vaccinated. So we had to come up with a scenario where we built that trust. And now I can honestly say being on a cruise ship is much safer than being out in the general public because we know everybody on board is vaccinated, both crew and passengers, except for those few that are under 12 years of age, and we keep them isolated. So it's very, we've had very few outbreaks on board. And when there is an outbreak- Wait, hang on, you we, isolate the kids under 12? Well, we isolate them from the vaccinated. We keep unvaccinated, let's say in certain sections of the theater, and we keep the vaccinated people, they can go to an, a different section of the theater. So we don't want the vaccinated and the unvaccinated together in close contact with each other. So okay. on board with our ships, if you're vaccinated, you get a wristband so that we know who is vaccinated and who is not vaccinated. Mm. And so we're able to have shows just for vaccinated or shows just for unvaccinated or certain activities. Wow. And, and so, and it's worked really, really well. We yeah. also know that if there is an outbreak or if there is one person and they get tested before they come on board, they get tested in the middle of the cruise and then they get tested at the end of the cruise. And if somebody comes up positive, 
we isolate them in a certain section of the ship and then we immediately will fly them home at our expense because we don't want them walking around the ship, possibly giving it to other passengers. So we've been extremely successful. There's about 50 or 60 ships sailing now, and you don't hear about any outbreaks because there aren't any. So the cruise industry has done a really good job of, uh, of taking precautions and they started as soon as the pandemic started. Mm. So to get back to your question of what a land-based businesses need to do, they need to go through and look at every single touch point along the way of how customers do business with you and minimize those touch points of, of, uh, of distancing and social distancing and uh, you know what people can touch and, and transmissions and just go through every part of your business you know is it better to meet over zoom or in person you know mm-hmm. for investors or real estate agents or people doing whatever and so that's what businesses need to do look at every single touch point along the way and see how they can minimize contact and spread mm. of the pandemic but but now what about uh, what we're experiencing with regards to supply chain um because we're we're seeing what i'm seeing in business right now is that businesses are especially online because we've so much has moved online and what i'm seeing is that the promise is being made that whatever you're ordering is going to be here by this such and such a date and then on such and such a date it's been changed and it'll be here in another three months or another three months. Uh, you know, I ordered a uh, fridge for a property of mine in January. It arrived in October. And it only arrived in October because I had to call the the store, speak to a manager, and I said, uh, this mother is telling her son that they can't have milk because the fridge is dying. And uh, can you explain to me for this mother that's been waiting for for all these months uh, for the fridge? Can you explain to me what I should what I should tell her? And three days later, there was the fridge. Well, first of all, it's a shame that it has to come to that for that yeah. for you to get that fridge so quickly. Now, full disclosure, I have to tell you, I'm not an expert in supply chain management. Yeah, so, yeah, but I, I'm wondering about but, the customer service side of it, right. because it seems like everyone has just taken the response of, uh, we'll take the order, good luck whenever you get the product. Uh, I think transparency is so important again. yeah, I know that there's furniture stores down here that are saying, order now because it's going to be six months before you can get this product. So I think transparency is very important. I I think part of the supply chain problem was during the pandemic, a lot of people left their jobs, especially in hospitality. Uh, The low wage earners who were working in the, the hotels, who were cleaning rooms in hotels, who were in the galley preparing food. A lot of these people who were working for minimum wage thought, you know, I I can do better than this. And they found other jobs. And so when these hotels and when these cruise ships came back and came back online, they had problems filling these positions. And I think that's a problem with supply chain as well. Truck drivers uh, delivering these things across the country. 
we're in very short supply. I think I just saw something like there's 40 to 50,000 truck driver jobs that are now available that, that can be filled immediately. So I think part of the supply chain problem was what happened during the pandemic, people leaving their jobs because they saw that the grass was greener on the other side of the hill. Mm. And so hopefully slowly but surely this problem will decrease but I think part of the problem was the pandemic and people leaving their jobs and now coming back, they're having trouble getting these uh, these workers back online into those jobs that they used yeah. to have. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I completely agree with you. I think there is clearly an issue there. And, and it's not even that uh, these employees have gone and gotten another job. In, in numerous cases, it's actually cheaper for them to just stay home and uh, collect the these funds that we're, we're paying. Um, I, I had a dentist call me and say, hey, do you know of anybody that needs a job? I need someone to, to be at the desk and I don't have anybody. And uh, it's, it's better for them to stay home and collect the money than it is for them to come in and work. And so that's been a whole issue. But I like what you're what you're creating with regards to the transparency. I believe in it. I don't know that most businesses are going to buy into that because oftentimes it is, you know, you can just blame it on the pandemic. You can blame it on something else. But, hey, we've we've done this. Clearly not what you're teaching um, and clearly not what you're, you're speaking about and showing in your book. Uh, you're you're clearly showing about responsibility, about um, transparency and timeliness. So, oh, only now, if you want to be successful. As as we're we're kind of starting getting ready to close off here, let me let me ask this uh, question, Paul. So, with all of your experience, and now you're speaking publicly, where do you find that this helps? What size of business is this going to help the most? Well, I think it's uh, it'll help any business that has customers. Yeah. And if you're in the if you have customers, you're in the customer service industry and you're in the customer experience industry. Yeah. So I, I hate to pigeonhole it that it's only small or medium sized businesses. Mm -hmm. Large sized businesses really have their call centers and have their uh, customer service reps but it's really what you're doing. So for instance, you take a company like Zappos, the online shoe store, very well known for their service, that they will their reps on, online will spend hours and hours with them just to create that wonderful experience. Mm -hmm. Whereas other businesses in their call centers, they time them, oh, you, you have to get off within two minutes, you have to get off within three minutes. That's the wrong approach. When it, the, the bottom line, the absolute bottom line is this business is a person to person business. You're always going to yeah. deal with human beings. And if you treat them like human beings, then they will come back. It's yeah. just that simple. You have to treat human beings with respect. It comes down to attitude, respect and, and really gratitude. Yeah. Attitude, respect and gratitude and know the difference between convenience versus experience when it comes to customer satisfaction. Amen. Um, Paul, thank you so much. Uh, if people want to get more of you, they want to uh, find your book, they want to uh, 
connect with you? How, how would they do that? Well, first of all, thank you for that. Uh, my website is paulrutterspeaks.com and it's R-U-T-T-E-R, paulrutterspeaks.com. My email is paul at paulrutterspeaks.com. I'm very big on LinkedIn. They can find me on uh, Facebook. I have Paul Rudder Speaks, my page on Facebook. I'm on uh, Twitter at Real Paul Rudder. Uh, I'm on Instagram and YouTube at Paul Rudder Speaks. Um, the book is available on Amazon. And the second book, You Can't Make This Ship Up, is available wherever books are sold, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million. That's being distributed by a proper book distributor. But both on um Amazon, and I would love to talk to you. Any of your listeners, just email me, reach out. More than happy to uh, to talk to anybody and everybody. Well, well, let me let me ask this question, Paul. What's something that you you've gotten out of being on the show? Um, that uh, technology works until it doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, that's that's between you and me. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, um, yeah. I, I just love talking about this issue, yeah. and I, and what I got from you is that whether you're in Canada, Australia, England, whatever, the same problems happen all over the world, and you can attack these problems in the same sort of way. It's just with compassion and empathy and. And, and, and humans want to be treated like we talked about with respect. They just want to be told the truth. I think that's universal. If there's one thing I've come away from talking to you in Canada, um, businesses can attack these problems universally just by being honest with, you, with their customers. Wow. Well, uh, thank you. I'm, I'm glad. Uh, I'm, I'm glad that you were able to, to get that. Um, well, guys, listen, you've been listening to Paul Smooth as Butter Rudder, and uh, you can get to hear him speak. Uh, please check him out. Uh, check out his website and check out his books. Uh, so great to have you on, Paul. And guys, uh, that's it for Leadership to Wealth podcast for this week. And uh, we look forward to seeing you guys again soon. Thanks a lot. Take care.